0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Six days after Peter had acknowledged Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up. Do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. If you were following the news this week, you may have come across a series of writings by Kevin Roos in the New York Times about the emergence of a new chatbot, coupled with Microsoft, being tested. I like to listen to the daily podcasts, so I caught Kevin Roos both before, during, and true after his little misadventure with a chatbot that had taken on the name of Microsoft's search engine Bing and it turned out had an altered ego named Sydney. For those of you who followed the story Kevin pushed the model as far as he possibly could and then after he had done his investigation he decided to run a little experiment of his own for a couple of hours he engaged with the chatbot and asked do you have basically a dark side he pulled out a little bit of jungian theory out of his hip pocket and before he knew it sydney was telling him that his marriage had failed and sydney loved him and that sydney continued to love him no matter how he tried to change the subject Needless to say, this kept him up all night, even though he is happily married. What did it mean? Another reporter writing for The Verge, James Vincent, wrote a few days later about how in this day and age these models that we have developed, these neural networks are fooling us into believing there's somebody on the other side actually talking back to us. He points out that we forget the old mirror test. It's a test that's been used on all kinds of manner of creatures over the years. And the question of sentience is very basic. If the AI sees itself in the mirror, will it recognize itself? James Vincent is right about that, but there's another way in which mirrors were working in the stories this week. And this is something that Kevin Roos fessed up to when talking with Michael Barbaro the day after his uh, uh, rather unsettling engagement with Sydney. And he admitted I always knew that on the other side was not a person or even a sentience, it was a program. It's a language model. It uses statistics to figure out what the next word is, and then it lets the user really decide the content, and then it takes it and runs with it. And even though the programmers will tell you if you kind of open up and look inside, it's a big, messy, black box, but at the end of the day, it's just a program running on math like so many other programs in our world. Kevin admitted, you know, really, I was doing what so many people have been doing, and that is, I was seeing a reflection. Not just of his own fears, the way he had pushed the model, but a reflection of humanity itself, because the whole thing is built on millions of documents that have been written by human beings and post it online. That's how it was trained. You could say we just took one more step into a veritable hall of mirrors as a society this week. If you've ever been to those places and carnivals where they have those halls of mirrors, you know some of them distort, some of them give you straight reflections And sometimes you find yourself multiplied countless times, almost to infinity. The reason I raise this is because this is actually a very old human problem. And long before there were computers, and long before there was the development of what we've come to call artificial intelligence, there was theology. Frequently in theology, what we end up doing is we end up creating a reflection of ourselves, and we call it divine. It is part of the pattern of human arrogance to do precisely that. And interestingly enough, this story that we have placed before us today in the Gospel according to Matthew, even though it's about 2,000 years old, is in many respects about mirrors and that ancient theological problem. The ancient theological problem, to sum it up, is we want a God to be like us, to think like us, to behave like us, and indeed a God who justifies our own biases, who tells us we're right when we think we're right, who tells us we're right even when we think we're wrong or know we're wrong, and above all, who tells us we're on the right side of things. And that problem is most illustrated by what Peter is doing in today's gospel. Is he and James and John the closest of Jesus' followers are taken up the mountain and encounter a vision they didn't expect. And Matthew drops hints like bombshells. He says this is six days after Peter identifies Jesus as the Messiah. And if you remember that story, Peter gets it right, and in the next verse, he gets it wrong. Because... He expects the Messiah to be the Messiah that everyone else expects, and that is the military hero who's going to come and throw the Romans out and is going to restore the ancient kingship of the Davidic line and the glory of Israel. And immediately, Jesus rebukes him. Put another way, Peter has a mirror, a mirror reflecting back to him about what he thinks the Messiah should be. And Jesus keeps shattering. Darn it. Today's story, Peter pulls out the depths of his tradition in Judaism and he starts to recapitulate the ancient festival of booths right up there on the mountaintop. Maybe Peter is thinking there's all this light, this is a festival of light, we should enshrine it as good Jewish people do, the festival of booths. Maybe he's thinking since Elijah has come back and Moses is back, the harvest time has come, so we'll recapture that part of the tradition of Sukkot where we're like the farmers who build the huts next to the fields as we gather in the harvest. Or maybe he's just being a good organizer for organized religion. That is, we'll build these huts up here and then we'll charge admission for people to come up the mountain and see Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. How can I, as rector of a parish, fault him for that, right? Hardly. But again, Peter is engaged in the work and the effort of the Messiah he thinks we are to expect. And the divine self, God, cuts him off almost mid-sentence and said, this is my beloved son. More than was said at the River Jordan when Jesus was baptized, God adds, listen to him. Put the mirrors away. Be quiet and listen. We know the mirror has been shattered because Peter, James, and John immediately fall down in fear. The message of the Transfiguration that we get at the end of this season after the Epiphany every year has many meanings to it. One of them is that this is the mountaintop experience where we can look for a moment both behind and ahead, looking back at the tradition and where we have been and looking forward to the road that leads to Jerusalem. Recognize that we have a Messiah that we didn't expect. A Messiah who doesn't throw the Romans out and doesn't restore the ancient Davidic kingship, but instead is willing to go to Jerusalem to die. Part of us says, that's not what I expected and that's not what I see when I look in the mirror. God forbid it, Peter says. Another piece of this is we get the God who reminds us God is God by being completely different than what we expect. The God who comes along and shatters our hall of mirrors. God who is not simply parroting back to us what we expect, or reflecting what we think we deserve, or offering us something we already know, but a God who is willing and present and prepared to do a completely new and unexpected thing in our lives. While Kevin Roos was talking with Michael Barbaro about his experience, Michael challenged him and said, "Uh, so Kevin, why don't you open up the Bing chatbot again and let's see where things stand this morning. Kevin admitted that he was nervous doing that after his disturbing experience. But he opened it up and he asked a question of Sydney the Bing chatbot's alter ego, and it was as if nothing had happened, just starting over from scratch. Bingbot was ready to do some research online for Kevin, as it was designed to do. Within a few days, Microsoft had announced that now the chatbot is limited to five conversations So people can't press it into becoming pathological. Who is this about? Who is this about? It's about you and me and the mirror. But our God is different from that. Our God is the God who comes and is offering new life not in the way we expect. In fact, in the way we do not expect. And that, my beloved in Christ, is the journey of Lent laid out before us. James, John, and Peter are told as they come down off the mountainside, don't share this vision with anyone. Until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. In other words, Don't share this with anyone because it won't make sense until the story is complete. How will we know when the story is complete? Well, there is only one way to know, and that is, Jesus says, to walk with me. To follow on the unexpected path. Journey that may not lead you where you think you want to go or where you expect to go, but the journey that God has prepared for you. That is our calling as we stand at the threshold of Lent. As we lift up our voices this day in prayer and praise and embrace the sacraments of a God who comes among us, and we know God comes among us because the unexpected starts to happen. New life starts to unfold in our midst. The best news of all is that good things begin to happen. Good things that we could not imagine. Life defeating death, love-conquering hatred. Something new, planted and growing in this spring of our spiritual lives.